just bless the Lord this evening, church. How many of you are thankful for that blood? Blood can wash away every sin, no matter how dark it might be. Amen. If it wasn't for the blood, none of us would be here this evening. But I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue and finish up this evening and complete our lesson on the body of Christ. The amount of time that we have left, pray that the Holy Spirit is able to condense it and get out what he's given to me. Before we do, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to anoint me and anoint you. Amen. Father God, we just thank you once again for your blood, that precious blood that has set us free from sin and set us free from death. We pray, Father God, tonight also that your Holy Spirit would anoint me and set me free to speak your word, Father God, with clarity, with the anointing, with power, with passion. I pray, God, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would quicken your people as well. God, that you would open up their ears to hear, give them hearts to listen, the courage to receive it and act upon it. Transform our lives this evening by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Come against every hindering spirit, the distractions of the week, the disappointments of the week, Father God, the the heartaches of the week, anything that the devil would try to use to keep us from receiving your word. We come against it and we claim freedom in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The the body of text that we are going to uh, finish up with this evening is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. I'm going to read it really quickly and then just move on to uh, what the Holy Spirit has. I know it's been a couple weeks since I started this series, so I'll recap just a, a little bit before we uh, really get into the second part. But 1 Corinthians 12:26 says this, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to their parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, we looked at the reason that Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians. And it was because they weren't living like the body of Christ. Because they were acting like a dysfunctional family. He wrote these words to the Corinthian church and he left them for us as well. 
because they weren't one. They weren't of one mind. They weren't of one spirit. They weren't of one heart. They weren't of one accord. They weren't all standing on the same thing. They weren't all headed in the same direction. And as we learned a couple weeks ago, they were allowing their cultural backgrounds. They were allowing their previous beliefs. They were allowing their status level. Uh, They were allowing their personal politics to dictate their doctrine and their direction rather than the word of God. And Paul wants us to clearly understand that in order for anybody to be of one, especially the body of Christ, it must be built upon the word of God and it must be held together by the spirit of God. The reality was they were allowing all this other stuff that I mentioned to form who they were. They were allowing all this other stuff uh, to dictate where they were going and what they stood for rather than the word of God, rather than what they had been taught by Christ, rather than what they had been taught by Paul, rather than what they had been taught by the word of God. And sadly, the same thing happens today. Political correctness, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, and tolerance and even bestseller books and TV personalities and so many other influences are forming and directing today's churches rather than the word of God, rather than the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of it, the gospel is being transformed rather than people's lives. I want you to understand that there are a lot of churches out there where the word of God is being transformed rather than the lives of the people that are in that church. There's a lot of churches where the word is being changed rather than people's lives being changed. The word is being watered down. The word is being altered and the word is being compromised. And because of it, it's losing its power. And because of it, the body of Christ suffers. What we need to understand is that it is the truth that sets us free. Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And without the full gospel and the whole gospel, you see, when you water this down, it loses its power. It's just like some any kind of medication. It's like any other type of thing. It, when it's watered down, it loses its full potential. And we water down the gospel, it loses its potential, it loses its power, and the body ends up suffering in the long run. It's what was happening in the Corinthian church, so Paul addressed it, and it still happens in the church today. You see, Paul wrote this letter because the people were not conforming to the body that Christ had in mind. They were not conforming to the word of God. Instead, they all wanted the body and they all wanted the church and they all wanted everyone else to conform to them. They all, like we learned a couple weeks ago, wanted it their way. They wanted uh, the, the church to be Burger King. You know, like I said, let us serve it your way. Let us have it your way. But what we need to remember, church, is how many of you realize that when we come to Christ, uh, we cannot have it our way. When we come to Christ, we must conform to Christ. When we call ourselves part of the body or when we come into the body of Jesus Christ, we've got to conform to his word. We've not got to conform to his will. We've got to conform to his ways. We've got to conform to his character and we have to conform to the body that he has created. And if we don't, then we cannot claim to be part of the body of Christ. You see, if we claim to be part of the body of Christ, it means we must conform to the body of Christ. And for those individuals that refuse to conform to the body of Christ, they're really not part of the body of Christ. I'm not the one that's saying that. The word of God says that we must look like the body of Christ, talk like the body of Christ, live like the body of Christ, believe like the body of Christ. And if we don't, we really cannot call ourselves part of the the, the body of Christ. Paul wrote these words. Because each part of the body wanted to operate separate from the body. They wanted to operate apart from the body. They wanted to do their own thing in complete disregard for the rest of the body. 
And what you and I need to understand, what we can gather from this is no matter what part we play, no matter what role we play in the body, we cannot do it with disregard to the rest of the members. We're all one. And what we need to understand is that what we do as one individual it affects every other individual in the body of Christ. What you need to understand is that when you sin, it doesn't just affect your life. It affects the body of Christ. It affects everyone around you. And I, I'm not going to get into a big lesson about it, but you need to remember the story of Achan who, who hid some things under the tent. He disobeyed God and his whole family suffered because of his disobedience. When one member of the body disobeys God, when one member of the body tries to do its own thing, it affects the entire body. Same thing holds true in any kind of relationship. When all you live for is yourself, your marriage is going to suffer. When all you live for is yourself, your family is going to suffer. Your sons, your daughters. And and this is what Paul was trying to teach these individuals. That in order to be a part of the body of Christ, you've got to conform yourself to the body of Christ. You cannot do your own thing. You see, what was happening was they were exalting themselves above one another. They were considering themselves more important than than the other members in the the body of Christ. They were fragmented and they were divided because, as I said in part one of the lesson, the word of God was not the single standard by which or to which they were conforming. I want you to understand this above everything. When we talk about conforming, this is what we have to conform to. There was division in the body because they were not conforming to the word of God. It was not the single standard by which they all lived, by which they all operated, by which they all made their decisions, by which they all formed their opinions or their politics or anything else. I hope you understand that your politics need to be conformed to the word of God. They need to be built around the word of God, not your own personal pleasures, not your own personal opinions. Everything about us needs to be conformed to the word of God. It wasn't happening in the Corinthian church and Paul had to address it. We, we, we discover that the same thing still happens today. There are a lot of churches that are building uh, their church. They are building who they are on sinking sand rather than on the word of God. And some of the things that I consider sinking sand are political correctness. Uh, a lot of churches today are building the church on political correctness. And I call that sinking sand. They're, they're building churches on, on personal politics or, or on bestseller books. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pulpits and there's a lot of churches that hardly even read the word of God anymore. They're using bestseller books to try to motivate their people instead of the word of God. Listen, I'm not telling you not to go out and read certain books. I'm not telling you you can't add those books to your library. But if you're doing that above the word of God, if you're building your politics or you're building your, your life and your direction and your faith on some man's word rather than the word of God, you're going to stumble somewhere along the way. Every book you read needs to be weighed against the the word of God. Just because it's on the top 10 bestseller list, just because it's sold at christianbooks.com doesn't mean it's the book that God wants you to be reading. It doesn't mean that it's all true. This is the only thing that's true, the only thing that's infallible, and every opinion we have, every motive we have, every belief that we have, every standard by which we live has to be weighed against the word of God. The Corinthian church was, was experiencing division because that was not the foundation of, of their, their building block. It wasn't the cornerstone of their faith. The word of God was not ordering their footsteps in the same direction, and it's why they had division. 
Remember what we read a couple weeks ago, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. Paul writes this. You were called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Don't everybody go a different direction. Find one thing that is the common ground, the, the one direction that you can travel in. And then he goes on and says, because you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father of all who rules over all, works through all and is present in all. You see, Paul was saying, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, in other words, whether you're Greek, whether you're Hebrew, whether you're slave, whether you're free, no matter who you are, you all have one master. Today, even politically, whether you're Democrat or whether you're Republican, whether you're young, whether you're old, you are all to be traveling in the same direction. You're all to have the same purpose, the same heart, the same goal, and that's to glorify the Father and advance the kingdom of God. And if any of those things get in the way... Then you're, a la- then you're really not part of the body of Christ. You're really not conformed to the body of Christ. No matter who you are, Paul said, God is ruler over all. And what we need to realize is whether we are rich or whether we're poor, God is ruler over all. It doesn't matter how much money in you ba- got in your bank, God is still your ruler. It doesn't matter how successful you might be in life, God is still your ruler. It doesn't matter whether you have your name up in lights or you're, 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 you don't have your name up anywhere, God is ruler of all, the Bible says. And what was happening in the Corinthian church, they were losing sight of the fact that, that all of us, No matter what color I am, no matter what background I have, no matter what my social status would be, we all have the same father. We are all part of one family in the same family, and that family is supposed to respect one another and love one another and bless one another instead of trying to exalt themselves above one another. And this was what was happening in the Corinthian church. The reality is whether we are, listen, whether we are Democrat or Republican, if there's ever a greater division in our society today, and even in the church, it's due to politics. It's due to Democrat and Republican or Independent or Libertarian. It's some of the greatest divisions that we have in our community. But listen, what Paul was trying to teach us here is whether you are Democrat or Republican or something in between, you should believe and stand for the same exact thing, and it is the Word of God. What he was saying was whether you are rich or whether you are poor, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're male or female, whether you're black or white, you should all stand for the same exact thing, and that is the Word of God. And when we don't, division comes in. When we try to promote our personal politics or any other agenda that we might have outside of the Word of God, division comes in, and we don't look like the body of Christ. You see, the body of Christ has nothing to do with our political persuasions. The body of Christ, in the body of Christ, there should be no Democrat or Republican. There should be no black or white. There should be no rich or poor. There should be no young or old. There should be no male or female. When we are in the body of Christ, we should all work together for the same goal, and that is to be a reflection of the Father. This is what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. What we have to understand is that the word of God must be the common denominator among us all. It must be the common denominator among us all. What we have to understand is that the word of God is the only thing that makes us equal. The word of God is the only thing that makes us equal. Because it, 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 it presents to us, look, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, we all need Jesus Christ. 
Whether we are Greek or whether we are Jew, we all need the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who we are. We all need God's mercy and we all need God's grace. And the word of God makes us equal. The the word of God doesn't give preference to anybody. It, It treats us all equal. It's the thing that holds us together. The word of God, my point is the word of God must be the glue that holds the body of Christ together. It must be the cornerstone upon which we build our faith and upon which we build our future. And when we don't use the word of God to create and hold together the body of Christ, we become divided. Most families, listen, most families... And you, you've probably experienced it yourself. But most Christian families that don't build their family on the Word of God will end up divided. They will end up destroyed. They will end up falling apart. Most relationship, any area of a Christian life, if it's not built upon the Word of God, it falls apart. Division comes in and animosity comes in and jealousy comes in and bitterness comes in. It's why we must build everything about our Christian faith upon the Word of God. And if it's not, it will be divided. If it's not, we will not be one body church. In Mark, 5, or Mark chapter 3, verse 25, Jesus tells us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house that does not have one mind, a house that doesn't have one heart, a, a house that doesn't have one spirit, a house that doesn't have one purpose cannot stand. And what was happening in the Corinthian church, they all had a different opinion. They all had a different plan. They all were per- per- pursuing a different purpose. And that kind of house can't stand. So what we have to understand is we've got to come together with one mind, one heart, one purpose so that we can accomplish the will of God. It's why in verse 12 to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he, Paul reminds them all that this is the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And this is what we need to remember. It is the body of Christ. It's not your body. It's not my body. It's not someone else's body. It is the body of Christ. And he reminds us in this passage that we're not, we're, we're not our own, but rather we belong to God, that he is ruler over all of us. Though there are many, though there are many of you, Paul said, though the body is made up of many parts, he was saying that you're to believe one thing. Though there's many parts, you are to believe one thing. You are to stand for one thing. You're to preach one thing. You're to uphold one thing. You are to follow one thing. You are to cling to one thing. And if need be, you are to die for one thing. And that is the Word of God. This must be central to the body of Christ. Without this, we cannot be who God has called us to be. Again, whether you're Greek or Jew, free or slave, he said, rich or poor, man or woman, we all must be one in body. You all are to be a representation of Jesus Christ, he was saying. You see, the problem is that some of us, some of us would rather be affiliated or associated with some a political party rather than the word of God. Some of us would bat rather be associated with, with some program or some organization than we would be than, than, than the word of God. And all I could think of as I was doing this was last week when brother Marcus, uh, brother Marcus spoke to us and the word was let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You see, there's far too many of us out there promoting our own personal politics.
politics rather than the word of God. There's too many people out there promoting their own ideas and their own agenda rather than the word of God. Listen, I'm not to promote me. I'm to promote the word of God. I'm to to promote Jesus Christ and the Lord. Jesus didn't even come to promote himself. He came to promote the father. He came to promote the kingdom. He came to exalt the father and glorify the father. He didn't come to glorify himself. And what was happening in the Corinthian church is they all wanted the glory. They all wanted to be exalted. They all wanted to be lifted up. And they were more concerned about promoting their own policies and their own politics and their own agenda rather than the word of God. How many of you know this is what we're to promote? This is what we're to stand for. This is what we are to to carry out into the world. Uh, My political persuasions isn't going to get anybody to heaven. My, my, my personal politics isn't going to save anybody's soul. None of my personal opinions are going to set anybody free or heal anybody or deliver anybody or set the captives free. It's only the Word of God that's going to do that. And we've got to put everything else aside and promote the Word of God. That is the job of the body of Christ. If you're wondering what the job of the body of Christ is, it is to represent Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to save the lost. He came to set the sinner free. He came to open up blind eyes. He came to open prison doors. He came to restore those that were broken. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And we can't do it if we're divided. We can't do it if we think we're greater than the next person. We can't do it if we think we deserve more honor or more glory or more praise than the person sitting next to me or behind me. We can't, we cannot promote the kingdom of God unless we conform to the body of Jesus Christ. These are the things that we need to understand. If there's any of these things that are getting in the way of us reflecting the body of Christ, we need to put them aside. So Paul teaches them the things that they were doing wrong. He addresses the division. He addresses the the pompous attitude that some of them had and the, the, the spiritual superiority that some of them had. And then he goes on and teaches them the function of the body, what the body is supposed to be doing. And one of the things that I shared with you last time we were together is how so many individuals become members of the body, but they never fulfill their role in the body. There's so many individuals that come and they want to be a part of the body of Christ, but then they they shirk their responsibilities to the body of Christ. They want to say, I'm a member of the body, but they don't care for the body. Like I said, they don't pray for the body. They don't support the body. They don't lift up the body. They don't give to the body or serve the body. They want everyone to serve them instead. And this is not being part of the body. Being part of the body of Christ means that I am taking responsibility to uplift and uphold the body of Christ. To be a part of the the body of Christ or to be a member of the body of Christ means that that person on the other side of the church is as important to Christ as I am. They're as important to the body as I am. We can't exalt ourselves or lift ourselves up. We, we need to treat each other equally. We must be part of one body. How many people join the body, but they never serve the body? They never give to the body. They take advantage of everything the body has to offer. They take advantage of all the programs. They take advantage of all the opportunities. They send their kids on trips and they they come to VBS and they enjoy the worship and they enjoy the choir and, and they enjoy everything that the church provides, yet they're not willing to give back to the body. 
They're not willing to offer themselves back to the body of Christ. They just come in. Listen, this is the saddest thing about the church today. They've got the mentality of entertain me. They've got the mentality of when they go into church like they're going into a theater or they're sitting down in front of a TV screen, popping in a DVD, saying entertain me and feed me. This is not the way the body of Christ works. When you enter into the body of Christ, you, be, you better be ready to work. You better be ready to, to get your hands dirty. You better be ready to do something to, to advance the kingdom of God and take care of the body of Christ. Listen, the reality is the word of God tells us that God appointed the fivefold ministry. God said, I have appointed apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and preachers for the, for the equipping of the saints so that they might do the work of service, so that they might learn how to take care of the body, so that they might learn how to go visit the sick, so that they might learn how to lay hands on the sick, so that they might learn how to pray for those that are in need, so that they might learn how to serve and to help and to build up the body of Christ. But we come into the house of God and we want the pastor to do it all and we want the staff to do it all because they're the ones that are paid to do it. And we're not willing to do anything. But God is telling us, look, I want you to understand, I'm not saying this in a nasty way. It is your responsibility as the body to take care of the body. I want you to understand that the hand brushes the teeth and the hand combs the hair and the hand puts on the bandage. The feet are the things that walk and, and, and move the body along. The, the back is the thing that, that bears the burden. Every single part has a responsibility to the body, and you cannot put it off on someone else. You can't shirk your duty and your responsibility. We need to ask ourselves every single day, God, what part is it you want me to play? And listen, here, here, here's the truth. If you don't do your job, someone else will. How, how many of you know, listen, all I could think about when I was studying this, I'm thinking about the individual who's lost both legs. And yet they still live a life. Something else takes over the duty that the, that the legs once had. And the arms carry that individual. You've seen it. People that don't have a hand. Maybe they do something with their foot. God makes a way. It's incredible. But here's what you need to understand. When the legs aren't doing their job and the arms get to do it, guess who gets strengthened? Guess who gets built up? The arms. The one that's doing the extra duty. They're the one that gets strengthened. But God is saying, look, we all have a part to play, and we are all responsible for one another. We can't come in and expect the whole rest of the body to do our job. We all have a job to do, and we must do it for the sake of Christ. What we need to understand is that in the New Testament, the phrase one another, it appears over 50 times in the New Testament alone referring to one another and our responsibilities to one another or our duties to one another. And this is what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthian church. You have a duty to one another. You have a responsibility to one another. And whenever, whenever we talk about the body of Christ, we always have to remember that we have a responsibility and a duty to one another. I'm just going to read a few. The Bible tells us that we are to serve one another. 
The Bible tells us that we are to love one another. It tells us that we are to pray for one another and bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to be devoted to one another, to confess our sins one to another, to build one another up and encourage one another, to stir one another on to good works, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, to bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. And there's a Romans 12:10 tells us that we are to give preference to one another. And the reality is this wasn't happening in the Corinthian church. And so often it doesn't happen in our own church. Give preference to one another, the Bible says. Give preference to one another. Here's what we have to understand. Jesus preferred us over himself. He preferred you and me over himself. He preferred you and me over his place on the throne. He preferred you and me over his royalty in heaven. He preferred you and me. And he went through hell, literally went through hell because he preferred you and me over himself. And in order for us, listen, to be a part of the body of Christ, I've said we have to reflect Christ. So what does that mean? It means we have to prefer one another. It means we have to consider others more important than ourselves. It means that even though it means we've got to be like Christ, who even though came in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, the Bible says, and he took on a new form. I hope you grasp that. He took on a new form, the Bible said. He made himself nothing, and he took on the form of a bondservant. He came in the form of God, but what did Jesus Christ do? He conformed himself to the body of Christ. He conformed himself to a servant, to a bondservant. He made himself nothing. He didn't look at himself and say, I deserve this, and I deserve that, and I deserve to be glorified, and I, I deserve to be exalted. He preferred you and me more important than himself. He took off his crown. He took off his robe. He laid down in scepter. He allowed himself to be born in a lowly little manger and die a terrible death upon a, an ugly, vile cross. He preferred you and me uh, above himself. That's why we celebrate Easter, because he preferred you and me greater than himself. And now he's asking us to do the same thing. If you want to be part of the body of Christ, you've got to prefer one another more than you prefer yourself. Pat someone else on the back instead of waiting for the pat on the back. Serve someone else rather than waiting to be served. Bless someone else instead of waiting to be blessed. Rejoice with someone else. Pray with someone else. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And when we don't do these things, when we don't do these 50 things one to another, the Bible says we're divided. It calls us divided. We're not one. Unless we're serving one another and preferring one another, we're not one. And we do not represent Christ. Every time this phrase appears in Scripture, it reminds us that we are part of one body. That we are part of one another. And we have to act like it. We have to treat one another like it. We often forget that our duty is as much to each other as it is to Jesus Christ. Our duty is as much to one another, the person sitting next to you, the person that you walk by on a Sunday morning that you don't even know their name. It, 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 we have to understand that our duty is as much to each other as it is to Jesus Christ because it is the body of Christ, because we all belong to him. Because we're his children, making us brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And we need to treat each other like that. And we're not. We treat one another like enemies. Someone stumbles and we fall. We laugh at them. We criticize them. We, we, we are cruel to them. And the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to do that. We're to prefer one another. Build one another up in the most high faith. Stir one another on to good works. The two commands of Christ. Jesus Christ only had two commands in Scripture. You know what they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what was the other? Love your neighbor or love your brother as yourself. Uh, You know, make yourself equal. Make him equal to you. Make your sister equal to you. Make their needs equal to you. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. It's what Paul is trying to. What was happening was the Corinthian church forgot that. It was becoming more about them than it was about Christ or more about them than it was about one another. And today it's the same way. The hand then and the hand now. The hand thought it was more important than the foot. These are the things that Paul's talking about. When he talks about the bodies and their functions, the the hand thought it was more important than the foot. The eye thought it was more important than the ear. The foot thought that it could operate without the hand and the toe was told it wasn't important at all. There's no, there's no one in the house of God, no one in the body of Christ that's unimportant, Paul was saying. And yet we treat individuals in the house of God with complete disregard. They're unimportant. That's not the way it's supposed to operate in the house of God. Every part is equally as important, Paul said. In verse 25, every part is equally as important. What you need to understand is a guy standing out on there, standing out there Sunday morning trying to direct traffic is as important as the man standing behind the pulpit. What you need to understand is the lady in there holding a baby or changing diapers is as important as the Sunday school teacher, as important as the choir singer. We need to understand that the people in hospitality and the people on the, 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 the security team and the, the people teaching our children, the people working in the coffee house, the people that have anything to do with building the body of Christ are equally important. No one is to be exalted over the other. No one. Every single part. I'm not saying this. Paul said this. God said this. The Word says this. Everyone is equally important in the house of God. Every part makes up the body of Christ. And we have to treat it that way. Every time that we look at an individual, we need to say they're part of the body of Christ. I'm going to prefer them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do what I can to to serve them. You see, the reality is, uh, you know, I hate to say it. Some of us would rather wear the crown than the apron. Some of us would rather put on a crown than put on an apron. Some of us would rather be ruler than servant. But Jesus was servant of all. He made himself nothing. He conformed himself to the will of the Father. Not his own will. Oh, we come into the house of God. We want everything our way. And Paul was saying it doesn't work that way. An individual that comes into the house of God or comes to be a part of the body of Christ, they better be willing to give up themselves. They better be willing to deny themselves for the sake of the cross and the sake of the kingdom and the sake of a brother and a sister in the Lord. And if you're not willing to do that, Jesus said, then you're not fit to follow me. And what that means is you're not fit to be my disciple. And if you're not fit to be my disciple, you're not part of the body of Christ. You cannot be part of the body of Christ unless you're willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. 
Unless you're willing to be discipled, unless you're willing to be conformed to the will and the word of God. How we kick and we, 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 we fuss against the word of God. But all God is trying to do, listen, he speaks these difficult words to sharp, to soften out the edges, to make us more look like Jesus Christ so we can truly be part of the body of Christ. It's a process we all have to go through. We all have to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. The reality in the Corinthian church was everybody wanted to be the head. Everybody wanted to be in charge. Everybody wanted to be in control of the other parts. Every, everybody wanted to be exalted above the others. Every part wanted to be heard and every part wanted to be seen. But what you need to understand according to the Word of God is not every part is seen Every part in the body of Christ isn't seen. Every part in the body of Christ isn't heard. But everybody thinks, there's so many people that think, if I can't be seen, and if I can't be heard, then that, part, that part's not important, and I don't want to play that part. I don't want to fill that role. But every part is just as important. And what we have to learn is whatever part God puts you in, whatever place God positions you in, you've got to do the very best you can in that place and in that position. No one, no one might, no one may ever see you, but God sees you and God will exalt you and God will bless you. And what you have to understand is man might not see me, but God sees me. I'm not doing this for man. I'm not doing this for recognition. I'm doing this for the body of Jesus Christ so that the will of God can be accomplished at South Metro Ministries or in our lives. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes onto the Word of God. Far too many individuals, listen, far too many individuals try to force themselves into positions that they don't belong. They try to force themselves into a, a place in the house of God and in the body of Christ where they don't belong. And when they do, they do damage not only to themselves, but they do damage to the body of Christ. This is what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were showing up with resumes and they were saying, I, I, I'm skilled at this and I'm good at this. And I, I, I used to do this and I used to do that. And you need to use me here and you need to use me there. And you need to put me here and you need to put me there. I need to be behind the pulpit. I need to be doing this. They were, they were forcing themselves into positions they didn't belong, that God had not called them to and God had not ordained them to be in. And it still happens today. They want the place of honor. They want the place that they think has honor, the place of recognition. And what the, the, the reality is, instead of submitting themselves to a season of doing nothing but seemingly trivial tasks for the kingdom of God, they try to force themselves into a position of power and prestige. It happens all the time. But you need to understand that whenever you come into the body, of some people are advanced quicker than others. But what you have to be prepared to do when you come into the body of Christ is take the seat at the end of the table. What you need to be willing to do when you come into the body of Christ is to submit yourself to a season of doing trivial little tasks that don't seem like they amount to a hill of beans. If you gotta wash a, uh, if you gotta carry a little child, if you gotta clean a toilet, if you gotta cut some grass, if you gotta wash a window, if you gotta park some Cars, no matter what it is, wherever God positions you, when you come into the body of Christ, you've got to submit yourself to a season of doing nothing but seemingly trivial tasks. And when you do, God will exalt you. 
When you do, God will move you up. You see, the problem is the individuals that try to force themselves into positions, God never exalts them. So they live a lifestyle. They have a spiritual lifestyle of having to push themselves and promote themselves to the place they think they belong. Because they've not submitted themselves to a, to a season of trivial tasks where the king can come by and say, you know what? This man's been my cupbearer for so, for so many seasons. He's proven himself. He's, he's, he's dedicated himself to the trivial test. And because of it, I'm going to move him up. Because of it, I'm going to recognize him and, and exalt him. And see, this is what we need to understand. In Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 9, as I begin to bring this to a close, listen, we read the story of Saul. He was the young man who would be king. In verse 2 it says, in verse 1 it talks about his father and his heritage. But in verse 2 it says, there was a son named Saul. Or Kish had a son named Saul. The Bible says he was an impressive young man without equal in all of Israel. Now think about that. How would you like to have that on the top of your resume written by somebody, uh, written by the president or written by the king? That he, he is an impressive young man without equal in all of Israel. What an impressive thing to have put on your resume. He was impressive, the Bible says. The Bible says there was no one like him. He was the cream of the crop. He was the pick of the litter. He was the top gun. He was the best of the best, we would say today. And after reading that introduction to this young man, you would think the very next verse would extol him to some, to some super special place of honor. You think the next verse would extol him to some position of power in the, in the kingdom of Israel. You would think the next verse would extol him to some super special place of recognition. But what does the Bible say in verse 3? Verse 3, the Bible says that he would... It says in verse 3, we find this young man who would one day be king of all Israel. He was told to go out and chase donkeys. The Bible says now, verse 2, verse 2 says, There's a young man named Saul, an oppressive young man without equal among the Israelites. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish says to his son, Saul, take one of your servants with you and go look for the donkeys. And I thought, wow. I thought... Here is a young man filled with talents, a man, young man filled with incredible skills, a young man that was called impressive and better than anyone in Israel, a young man with the greatest of potential. And what does God ask him to do? He asks him to go chase donkeys. He asks him to go do some seemingly trivial task that had no importance, no reason. What, what, what's the motive behind it? You know, maybe, maybe Saul was thinking, oh, my dad just wants to get me out of the house. Maybe he just wants to, you know, whatever. But here's this man who is completely impressive, none like him in all of Israel, and he's asked to go chase after donkeys. And the first thing I, you know, I think, wow. God's using for this, but understand, God arranges the parts as He sees fit. The Bible says God arranges the parts just as He sees fit. And He saw fit for Saul, who was this incredible young man, to go chase donkeys. And the Bible says that He went from one hillside to another hillside. Couldn't find Him, couldn't catch Him. He went from one country to the next countryside. Couldn't find Him, couldn't catch Him. Went from one city to the next city. Couldn't find Him, couldn't catch Him. 
probably got frustrated along the way. His servant said, we better go back or somebody's going to think we're goofing off or somebody's going to think we got lost. Maybe, you know, but he, he can, uh, continued to do what God had called him to do. Unknowing that while he was out chasing donkeys, that God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said, in such and such a day, at such and such a place, this young man named Saul is going to come into town looking for some donkeys. And you know what I want you to do with him, Samuel? I want you to anoint him king. I want you to anoint this young man that's out there chasing after donkeys, king of all Israel. Samuel didn't think anything of it. You know, God just, he's a prophet and he's going to do what he's saying. But we look and we think, good Lord. Here's this young man chasing donkeys, and God anoints him to be king. And you want to know why he he anointed him to be king? Because he was faithful in the little things. God made him ruler over much. Because he could have rebelled against his father. He could have said several different things. The reality is, Saul could have said... Saul could have held out for a better deal. Saul could have proclaimed his importance. Saul could have exalted himself. Saul could have pushed for a position of power. He could have said, he could have said uh, to his dad, well, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere if you're not going to use them here. But he didn't. He could have said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm the best of the best. Could have said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm the cream of the crop. There's no one like me in all of Israel, dad. And you want me to go chase donkeys? You want me to chase down donkeys? Forget it. I don't like that role. The reality is we we do what Saul didn't do. We hold out for the better deal. Uh, We don't want to chase the donkeys. We don't want to be put in that position of, of less honor in our own eyes. But the reality is when it comes to being part of the body of Christ, we all have to be willing to chase donkeys. We all have to be willing to do the trivial little task and realize that God has placed me where he has placed me for a reason. And the reality is, when it comes to the body of Christ, you see, Saul didn't exalt himself above anyone else. He was called, it was said there was none equal to him in all of Israel, yet he didn't exalt himself above any of them. Guess who he went with to chase donkeys? A servant. He did the same exact thing as his servant did. They went out doing trivial little tasks. And my point is this. When it comes to being part of the body of Christ, there's no room for you. And there's no room for me. In other words, there's no room for me, myself, or I. When it comes to the body of Christ, all of us are equal. When it comes to the body of Christ, we've got to be willing to do whatever it is the Holy Spirit asks us to do. Whether we like the part or don't like the part. Whether we think it's filled with honor. Whether we think it's menial. Whether we think there's not enough recognition. We're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the rest of the body. And one of the things that I I want to close with here. The fact is, the Bible talks about when one of us, he said when one of us, he closed, when one of us suffer all of us should suffer. When one of us is exalted, when all, one of us is honored, all of us should rejoice together. And that's what I want to close with. When it comes to being part of the body of Christ, we have to cry with the body of Christ. We have to weep with the body of Christ. We have to pray with the body of Christ. When we see or hear that a, that a brother or sister in, in the body of Christ is hurting, we need to hurt with them. We need to call out to God with them. 
We need to reach out and bless them. We need to, instead of condemning them, instead of trying to examine their baggage and figure out what they did wrong, instead of condemning them, we need to just weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that that rejoice. But lastly, he says, and when one of us is honored, we all must rejoice with it. When one of us, listen, when one of us is exalted... When one of us is put into a a place of honor, when one of us is recognized, what we're supposed to do is rejoice with that individual because the body of Christ is being uh, honored. Not one person. The body of Christ is being honored. We need to put aside our pettiness. We need to put aside our jealousy. We need to put all aside all those things. So, So often when one person is exalted, we have a tendency to get jealous. We have a tendency to get bitter. We have a tendency to say they don't deserve it and I do. We have a tendency to allow uh, one person's uh, being recognized to, to work against what Christ is trying to do. And when one person in the body is recognized, listen, we need to rejoice with them. We need to just thank God that the body of Christ is being exalted, not one individual. So I end with this. How many of you, you know, I wanted to say how many of you are willing to chase some donkeys, but... What I, what I really feel like the Holy Spirit is asking tonight is how many of you are willing to be conformed to the body of Christ? How many of you tonight say, God, my desire and, 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 and my commitment to you will be to just be conformed to the body of Christ? And wherever you want to use me, however you want to place me, however, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want to tell me to do, Father God, I, I'm just going to fill my role. I'm going to fulfill my purpose. I'm going to fulfill my role. If that's you, just why don't you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer and just say, God, I'm surrendering myself to you to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ so that the Lord might be glorified. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, Father God, for the examples that you have left us. We thank you, Father God, that uh, when you call us to do something, Lord, you equip us to do it as well. So anything that you've taught us this evening, Father God, I thank you that we don't have to do it on our own, that we can do it with the power of your Holy Spirit. We can do it with the assistance of your word, with your leading, with your wisdom. But I pray tonight, Father God, above everything else, that we would be willing to conform ourselves to the body of Christ tonight. God, that we would be willing to forget about ourselves, that we would be willing, Father God, to to lay our own wills aside and lay our own desires aside to lay aside our own politics and our own opinions and our own agendas. God, that we would be willing to lay aside our own plans, God, and just submit ourselves and yield ourselves to whatever plan it is you have for us. God, if you put any of us into a season of doing just seemingly insignificant tasks, I would ask that you would help us to just embrace those and do them with the, the fullness of our heart, Father. Because it builds up the body of Christ. Because there is a purpose behind what you would have us do. God, that there is a higher level behind everything menial that you ask us to do. So help us to be conformed to your image. To be conformed to your likeness. To not exalt ourselves or lift us ourselves above one another. But that we would give preference to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that the body of Christ might be effective in this world so that we might help to advance the kingdom of God filled uh, into a world that is filled with darkness so that we could have an effect. We thank you for all of these things. Ask for your guidance, your protection. Once again, we thank you for your blood. 
the celebration that we're going to have on Easter Sunday. Father God, we just thank you for that precious blood that washes away all sins, that brings us in to the family of God. Give the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord, church? Amen. If you have a need, I'll be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, I challenge you to go chase some donkeys this week. Amen.